Welcome to the Disaster Tough Podcast, where we talk about emergency management by emergency managers. We share stories, lessons, and tips to help keep you moving forward. I am John Scardina, the host. I share my experience as a former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters over the past decade. I now lead a private emergency management firm called Doberman Emergency Management that focuses on emergency planning, mitigation, and response. This podcast is brought to you by L3 Harris. L3 Harris is an amazing company. They provide communications for first responders all over the world. They created the Beyond Push to Talk app that allows your team to communicate between mobile devices and radios through encrypted lines, which makes it so much easier for the team. Even better, they are offering the Beyond app at no cost to agencies for a limited time. You have to check it out. L3Harris.com slash responder support or click on the show notes for details. Welcome back to the podcast show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. Man, we have such, an, uh, such a great episode coming up here for you today. We have uh, the opportunity to talk about the National Preparedness Month, which we're really excited to talk about. We're going to be switching it up here a bit uh, from our normal style of emergency management advice, right? Emergency manager to emergency manager, because we want to talk about emergency preparedness, it being National Preparedness Month. And I'm going to run through a few disasters and examples of preparedness considerations for individuals and families, commercial spaces, and of course, traveling. I mentioned traveling because, oh my gosh, the tourism industry has been hit so much by COVID. We're not going to be talking about COVID so much, but we want to be bringing into that broader discussion of what happens if you're traveling, if you're on the road, if you're on a vacation, if you're looking to, to go to a vacation spot and things are happening we really just want to be able to provide that advice. So um, we're going to be doing a lot of things this month. In fact, we will be posting all month long with tips, guides, discounts on emergency supplies and our training uh, on our business Instagram and Facebook pages. So make sure you check out the Doberman EMG uh, account on Facebook and on Instagram. Okay, again, that's Doberman EMG, Emergency Management Group. Okay, so check that out. Uh, we will be also sharing some of those tips and tricks on our story side of the Disaster Tough podcast, so that Instagram page. But again, check out the business side where we, you know, we used to post for some of this podcast. Um, but all things related to the business, we are, you know, uh, showing on that page. So make sure you check it out. Make sure you're following those pages, liking the posts, sharing it with people to, to help them become more disaster tough. And yes, this is a huge plug, but again, it's, it's good for you. And, um, you know, it, it will help out somebody else for disasters, especially if you found something beneficial from it. Okay. So let's just dive in, uh, this week, um, we've been dealing with the aftermath of hurricane Laura. There's still major storms ripping through the, the middle of the, the U S right now from hurricane Laura. And it being hurricane season, we thought this would be a good one to, to start off with. Uh, this week, we also got some rough news. We found out that over half of the deaths from Hurricane Laura in Louisiana were caused by those portable generators used in homes. I say in homes because that's what happened, right? Carbon monoxide poisoning 
um, you know, killed several people when generators were improperly used uh, in or too close to the home. So if you're emergency preparedness minded and you go out and buy a generator because you think the, the grid is going to go down uh, in a large scale disaster, uh, you need to still learn how to use it properly. And uh, it's really tragic. It's really sad. Um, so we thought it would be really important to call that out right in the beginning. Make sure you check the equipment and follow the guidelines. I'm not talking about emergency preparedness guidelines. I'm talking about actually looking at the manual and going through it and saying, uh, okay, it needs to be, you know, you know, 50 feet from the house, 100 feet from the house, whatever it is, uh, follow those manufacturer guidelines, okay? Um, it's just like those camping stories we hear about every once in a while where someone tries to use the wrong kind of heater in a tent and terrible things happen. I know that the motivation for convenience is really strong. You, you, you want to make it, you know, close to, to add more fuel or it's cold outside or it might be wet, whatever the case is. That's not what you need to be worrying about. Uh, taking care of this in the right way is huge. Okay. Um, it's, it's more than convenience. It's life-saving, life-sustaining. So take care of learning how to do that in the preparation phase that way you don't have to think about it in a disaster or rather you don't have to turn a crisis into a, a disaster or into a tragedy for your family. So that's, that's number one, um, you know, using new lessons learned, right? Um, this week we also shared on the Doberman EMG uh, side of the house. Again, those, um, those Instagram and Facebook pages, a, a statistic from FEMA that 40% of small businesses do not recover, as in do not open again after a disaster. It was too impactful, right? 25% of small businesses that do reopen fail within a year. 40% of small businesses do not recover from a disaster, and 25% that do reopen fail within a year. So with hurricanes, because they are so devastating and long-lasting, I would say that pre-disaster... As part of your coup plan, especially if you're thinking about emergency preparedness, create agreements and contracts to move supply out of the threat zone, coordinate with other similar small businesses to work together in a coop situation where you can all come together and um, yes, they are your competition, but yes, they are good networking uh, capabilities there uh, where you can say, hey, if we're all impacted by this disaster, let's come together. Let's make sure that our businesses can survive and so our families will be taken care of and uh, get back on our feet, and then we can worry about the rest later. So by putting those agreements in place, you can start to build your own community there. Okay, um, consider a contract that goes into effect if you need to rent space outside the regional impact. We did this before. Um, we had to deal with a coop situation, and um, you know what happened was we organized a potential rental location uh, for a facility outside of our region to make sure that uh, the organization that I was representing could still operate. So make sure that you put those MOUs, um, Memorandum of Understandings, uh, those contracts in place as part of your coup plan. Uh, these things will really help you out. Uh, of course, if you need an emergency manager or you need us to come through and make sure you've uh, dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's kind of thing, or you need us to build a plan for you, you know, reach out to me, uh, reach out to uh, Doberman Emergency Management. Again, I'm the owner of this company and we have really great people working for us. So, um, 
you know, info at DobermanEMG.com and we can help you out. Okay. Uh, another thing about hurricanes, hurricanes often cause mass evacuations. You've heard this um, from Patrick McGinn and you've heard this from probably Rodney Melsick and you've heard this from Cameron Sterrett. Um, you've heard this um, uh, from several of the people that we've had on this um, podcast. Mass evacuation happens. So if you live in a hurricane prone area, or really any location that typically sees disasters that cause mass evacuations, I would consider putting in uh, your car a go kit uh, during the season uh, that specifically helps you out for those kinds of things. Now, we often talk about food, shelter, clothing, but water is such a big concern too. There are issues of using plastic water bottles uh, left in hot cars, so there's a bit of a catch-22 there. And um, you'll have to look into where your car's stored, the the temperature ranges, the type of bottles that's um, that you're having the water stored in, or the or the containers rather. Um, so look into options to safely store extra food and water in your car, just in case you need to to hit the car and, and go on the run uh, from a hurricane or a large scale disaster. Hurricanes season, you know, hurricane season is also prime for. Uh, tourist season, right? That makes sense. And when it's warm out, uh, people want to go to the beach. We go to the beach. And um, so there's considerations there too. Uh, I have personally seen more decisions made um, that uh, are focused on maybe the, the wrong category, right? And what I mean by that is I'm not talking about doomsday prep. I'm not talking about, well, I can't go to the beach because it's hurricane season. That's that's way outside the, the bounds of normal. What I'm talking about is paying attention to the news. Okay, if if you're you know if you want to go on a uh, a vacation that you've planned for for so long, you've saved up a lot of money. You're you, you're hoping to go for this you know dream vacation, or even if it's a typical vacation for you, you live fairly close to the beach. I would say that um, a, a smart thing to do is to to watch the news. Just be aware. Um, you know, life-saving outweighs vacation because you don't want to, get, again, the vacation to turn out a, to a tragedy. So if there's a Cat 4 hurricane headed right to the beach, I know it's a tough call to make. Um, our family, uh, for example, had to make a call like that not too uh, recently. We had this really fun um, family trip planned uh, that we were going to get a bunch of people together, and there's going to be a week-long thing with um, – you know, all of this extended family, we're going to have a great time. COVID was happening. And, um, as you guys have might've heard on previous episodes, my wife's pregnant. Do you travel with COVID? Well, no. So it was a tough call for us. It was not a fun decision to make. And, um, you know, but we, we made that, we made that call because of life saving life uh, sustainability for our family. I really, again, I understand the desire, um, but you have to go with the logical decision uh, to go or not to go and not make an emotional decision um, because once um, the emotional decision gets in place, um, it's really hard to start really uh, weighing those pros and cons. Um, again, not saying don't travel. I'm saying watch the news, look at the data, and if there's public notices saying please don't travel here, take them seriously. Um, otherwise, if it's all, you know, if it's green light, go and have fun and, you know, have a great vacation. But it's something to think about for sure. You know, looking at notices and being aware of that, having that situational awareness. So let's switch topics here because 
um, Doberman Emergency Management is located in Sacramento, California, as many of you know. We are a private emergency management firm in Sacramento, California, and um, we do work all over the U.S. This podcast is global. Super excited about that. Thanks, guys. But we just explained about evacuations, but what happens when you live in the area and um, you have to deal with large-scale disasters? So switching gears a little bit here to fires and wildfires for those on the West Coast, uh, we just experienced several days of heavy smoke due to wildfires that caused 100,000 people in Vacaville to evacuate. A lot of homes were impacted. There's a lot of lessons to be to be learned, and we have learned several lessons about wildfires over the past several years in emergency management and response. So we wanted to unpack some of those things for you to give you, again, better situational awareness. First off, the number one compliment we get from our firefighter friends is thanking people for clearing the brush, dead leaves, and plants from the yards. This uh, podcast might be a good time to ask you that question, right? Prepare this month. Uh, when was the last time you cleaned your gutters? There's actually a lot of reasons that you want to do this besides uh, the possible impact from a wildfire, from annoyances of rodents to it causing uh, a flooding issue and then damaging the roof because the water can't drain out. And then also, of course, if an ember lands on the roof and rolls down into the metal drain, the metal drain is you know, going to be helpful for that unless it's full of, you know, dead leaves. And so we want to uh, clean, clean out any vegetation that could impact there. Speaking of roofs and wildfires, a lot of people think that wildfires burn horizontally as if the fire catches uh, only on the ground and moves with the direction of the wind. Wildfires are much more complicated. Uh, for example, we can see underground burning of root systems in forests. But really, the, the major issue for neighborhoods is that fires burn top-down, meaning the wind carries this huge, these huge embers, and then the embers land on the roofs, and it burns it down from, from the center of the roof, right? Uh, the reason I was so successful with creating FEMA's first tactical-level drone mission and program uh, for disasters was that I understood that in a drive-by for preliminary damage assessments, the front of the house could look completely normal, front door and all. And yet, from an aerial image, you can see the center of the house destroyed. In fact, while visiting Santa Rosa during a uh, wildfire deployment, an entire neighborhood had been wiped out, gone. Like a war zone or what I might have thought from a movie from like a nuclear holocaust. It was like a horrible sight to see. And uh, my heart really went out to, to the people that were impacted in those, in those neighborhoods. However, one house remained. One. I asked my counterparts, you know, um, hey, like, how were they able to save that house? Like, it's a phenomenal. Anytime they are able to save any structure, I'm impressed. Because these wildfires, you know, burn through so fast, like lightning. So as we were talking, it was really apparent to them that when the homeowner was fleeing his house, they could tell that he had thrown his sprinkler up on top of the roof. So as the embers hit the roof, uh, the water put out the embers. It saved the home just long enough for the firefighters to push back the fire engulfing the surrounding perimeter, right? Because once the neighborhood catches and you have several houses, then you have not just the top town issue from the wildfire sending over the embers, but then you have the perimeter issue. And they were able to fight back that fire. So uh, huge kudos to um, both that homeowner and the firefighters being able to get in there and save that guy's home. 
In Arizona, I believe, um, a new ordinance is in place to install commercial-grade sprinklers on home roof systems, so like you'd see at a commercial building. Uh, talk about a mitigation effort for sure, right? Um, we recently did an episode talking about Beirut blast and uh, comparing that to other large-scale explosions. Beirut is also a, a fire incident, right? Beirut is a prime example and reminder of the danger of storing hazardous materials improperly and how a spark can cause massive issues. Uh, I remember a big fire being started uh, in an industrial complex when I was younger um, from somebody smoking, right? I would say that in a fire on an industrial scale or really any large fire, use the rule of thumb, right? If it's dangerous, you use the rule of thumb. Meaning, stretch your hand out and make like a thumbs up symbol, like you're almost calling for a car, right? If that fire is hidden within your thumb, so like aim like you're aiming down a barrel of a gun, uh, using that thumbs up, and if if the fire is hidden behind your thumb, you're a proper distance away. If it's larger than that view, if it's uh, if it's again still bigger than your thumb, you're too close. Right? I'm going to say this again. Use the rule of thumb. You don't want to be too close to a fire, especially an industrial complex. Uh, they, they, are tend, they tend to explode, right? Unfortunately, we do have several lessons um, about this too. One of the most fav- uh, famous ones I can recall is West Texas incident here in the United States. A fertilizer factory caught fire. Um, there's a video of a man and his son watching the blaze. And the, the fire is really far away. It's across a fil- field, and um, you can see the uh, factory on fire. You can also hear the child, his son, I believe his son, repeatedly making statements that he's nervous. The father reassuring him, saying, hey, just watch it. It will collapse soon. He's recording it, um, and he thinks he's okay. Well, those of us with training really understand that these plants, again, often explode. And just by watching the video, I could tell that they're way too close for that rule of thumb. And they were too close. The explosion caused a shock wave that caused deafness in his son. Um, It blew out his eardrums. And you can hear him at the end of this video. He's begging his dad to please get out of here. He's saying, I I can't hear, I can't hear. Please get out of here. It's really sad. Again, the father would have never in a million years wanted to put his son in danger. In fact, he he could see this big field and he thought everything was okay. But again, he didn't have that training. And so this is a call out uh, to that, that lesson learned. Um, I can understand that without training, a huge fire is pretty cool to to watch. Um, Fires are cool unless they've packed life, right? Um, They're really, really fun to look at. That's why we like campfires. Second time I brought up camping, guess what I want to do? But this is not one of those things. You have to... Work in a, if, you, if you do work in a facility, check, double check, triple check how your hazmat, your hazardous material is stored and follow everything to the T. If the containers are only supposed to last a certain time before they break down, if they're supposed to be stored, you know, how many feet away from other combustible agents, that's what you need to be looking at. Uh, when it comes to observing dangerous fires, again, rule of thumb for sure it could save your life or at least your hearing, right? Um, if you are in a situation where you need to escape a fire, it's going to be 
rough. Um, okay, fires are the worst. Um, so going back to kind of that that wildfire uh, mentality, and maybe some of those evacuations, talking about again traveling, it's going to be very hot. You got to keep moving. You can't stop. Uh, turn off your air conditioning in your car. I know that sounds crazy, but that hot air can come into your car. Those dangerous fumes can come into the car. You don't want to black out and something tragic happening to you your, or your family. So turn off the AC, close all those air vents. If you have people with you, keep them low as possible as windows you know, tend to break or that heat just coming through can just be completely unbearable. Um, this is one of those super rare moments where we suggest in emergency services uh, not even to be possibly on the car seat, but get on the floor of the vehicle. Again, you have to judge the situation, how close the fire is, how dangerous it is. But if you're like right in the mix of the fire, um, I would consider getting um, those family members on the on the floor while some somebody is forced to drive. This might be, again, safer than the car seat with a seatbelt. You have to judge the situation. Uh, we have so many stories of both successful evacuations and unfortunately, uh, you know, tragic stories as well. So I won't go into too much of the latter, but I will say that having a, a, an emergency radio or having an app on your phone or encouraging your municipality uh, to, ha- to have and install early warning systems, I mean, that saves lives. A police car or a fire truck doesn't always have the capacity to rush down every street to warn of impending danger. Uh, for those who find out too late, extraordinary measures you know, must be taken to save life. We know of couples that uh, have jumped into freezing pools at night, and every time they came up for air, uh, they were burned by the fire that was burning around them. But they required you know, to, to be able to breathe, right? So uh, they were bo- bobbing up and down for, in this freezing cold water for hours and yet also being burned. Uh, we also know of individuals that died from hypothermia trying to do the same thing. So the pool really isn't the best option here. Getting out is. Don't be one of those people who say, well, if a fire you know, comes in my neighborhood, I'm just going to jump in my pool. That's a terrible plan. Okay, get out. Getting out is the plan. Think of it like an active shooter. Always getting out. Creating distance is your friend. Any disaster, creating distance is your friend, right? Um, so there's there's an awesome story of a family trying to get out, uh, and they were blocked uh, on on either side of the street, meaning I think it was that one was a dead end, and the fire was coming down the other end, so he, he couldn't get through the, the end of the street. And so this, this family, they all packed in this car. Dad drove. They all got down low, and... Um, he just blitzed it down the street, like 60, 70 miles an hour, just flying down the street all the way to the fire, all the way back to the end, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth as the, the tires disintegrated. And, um, you know, he, he went as long as he possibly could. And the flames came up, passed over the car, and crossed the street. The family was saved. The car destroyed, but again, keep moving. It's what saved their lives. It's a pretty incredible story. You know, we, we talked about early warning systems, how it saves lives. Early warning systems and getting out. Let's talk about tornadoes in that aspect. I hate tornadoes. Uh, out of every disaster type, earthquakes, tsunami, 
tor- uh, tornado, wildfire, even man-made stuff, active shooter, terrorism, whatever. I hate tornadoes. Uh, I think they suck. Um, that's a pun, technically, but they are the worst. And uh, just like wildfires, right? They're the worst. Uh, but they really do suck. Um, maybe it's because I grew up with them or maybe because when I when I go out to a disaster or tornado event, even though we can figure out the, the tornado where it's going to head during a storm, the conditions of a tornado are t- difficult to predict. I'm not talking about recreating tornado conditions. I'm talking about the 100% path of a tornado. Where is it going to go? Um, that's why we call it Tornado Alley, right? It can go anywhere in this area, uh, this multi-state area, which is starting to shift, by the way. There's a lot of science and a lot of work trying to be done to figure out where tornadoes are going to go. But even more annoying, tornadoes jump. Yep, tornadoes are bound to jump. I have seen neighborhood after neighborhood destroyed by tornadoes. It is the number one disaster by far where we get the questions, why me and why not me? You know, if you think about a hurricane or you think about a wildfire, it is not necessarily luck of the draw who's impacted. It's blanket area, right? So why me, why not me comes up a lot. Questions of deity. Because when you will go out there and and you're passing a home, with a car that looks like it was made out of Play-Doh and thrown in the middle of a, a mosh pit of preschoolers, you know, look at their house and it's shredded. And then the very next home over, I will never forget seeing this the first time I saw this uh, in person. I was driving down the street. I could see this home off in the distance. And as we were driving down the street, you know, house obliterated, house obliterated, house obliterated, you know, just like a freight train drove right through each of the houses or like a bomb went off on each of the houses. But as we got closer and closer to this house, it had a perfect lawn manicured. The house looked perfect. I mean, it looked like it recently had been mowed, right? Beautiful home. And you could only imagine what all the other homes looked like in that neighborhood. That's because the tornado, as it was ripping through this neighborhood, jumped and for whatever reason, this house was spared. And so you get questions uh, from survivors as you're talking to them. They'll say something like, I'm a terrible person. I've made so many mistakes in my life. Why was my house saved? Why was that a guy's house uh, destroyed? Or uh, other way around, like, I've done everything right. Uh, you know, I'm a good mom and I've, I've tried to do you know good things in my life and help out my community. Uh, why was my house destroyed and my neighbor who's a complete jerk, you know, why, why was their house left standing? Uh, the questions of why me versus why not me. It's because tornadoes suck. Uh, that's why. Um, and they're really difficult to mitigate. Uh, mitigating a tornado is a beast. Uh, we can create wind breaks, but the best wind breaks are skyscrapers. But just don't tell that to Nashville, Salt Lake City, or even Annapolis, Maryland, the capital of Maryland, just yesterday, September 3rd, 2020, that saw a tornado, right? So tornadoes can happen uh, even in uh, highly populated areas. If we can't mitigate it that much, or we, we haven't figured that out yet, we are going to figure it out, by the way. I hate tornadoes. I want them to be mitigated. Let's talk about what you can do now, logically. I mean logically, very seriously, to help save and sustain life from a tornado. 
Actually, let me back up because we, we mentioned early warning systems, but we really didn't go into it. Do you know the difference between a watch and a warning? It confuses a lot of people. It's like one of those things of like, um, what's less than versus greater than and the alligator. And this is like, what? This is one of those things that confuses people. So let me help you out. I am watching to see if a tornado may develop. I'm watching the sky to see if something's going to happen. I'm watching my computer screen to see if the conditions are going to produce a funnel. I'm watching it. I am warned that a tornado is coming towards me. Okay, think of it like uh, 2,000, 3,000 years ago, uh, a, a watch would be essentially that diplomatic relationship between two nation states, two tribes, coordinating and watching, observing to see if something will happen. A warning is the guy with the horn on the wall, you know, saying, hey, the army's here. Well, the, the enemy in this, this situation is the tornado, okay? So a watch, you're observing, a warning, it's happening, okay? When a watch is occur, has occurred, I would consider grabbing those go bags, right? Um, so you have a little more time. You're just trying to observe. You've turned on the, the, the radio. You've turned on the news. Um, I would grab those go bags and your Doberman family emergency plan, Yes, you can get one of those. Um, it's, you can download it from our website. Um, make sure you go there, dubbermanemg.com. And I would consider opening a couple windows during a watch. I'm not talking about a warning. I'm not talking, it's not already happened yet. Noah suggests during a warning, don't worry about the windows. It's going to tear through the house. And I agree. But during a watch and you have some of the time, um, you know, consider opening a couple windows in adjacent areas to relieve that pressure. I was once asked by search and rescue to help locate and recover the remains of a boy that was sucked out of a home um, when the, uh, the pressure had built up. Uh, I don't remember what the debris was. The debris is what kills people most of the time, by the way. Um, it broke that seal when it tore into the house, and uh, unfortunately that boy was sucked out of the home. Really difficult situation to, to both process and to um, to think about. And so it was my job to to help search and rescue, uh, figure out the possible trajectories of uh, recovering those remains. Anyways, so uh, there wasn't much the family could have done. They lived in a single story home, and um, they did everything that they knew about and the warning that they had. Um, I, I feel for them. My heart breaks for them. Um, my heart breaks a lot for the people who are impacted by disaster, and that's why we do our job, right? Because we care about people. Um, anyway, so the fact that they had to witness and then lose their son is just a horrible thought. So again, when possible, in a watch situation, when you have some time, open a few windows so that when the tornado crashes into the house, it doesn't create a suction motion. In a warning, however... You may not have any time, okay? And if a warning happens, that means, again, the enemy's at the gates. Tornado's like, hey, what's up? So you have to react differently in a warning, um, especially at night because you can't see the funnel. And, you know, you might be able to say, okay, this is on the other side of town. It's headed towards me. I have uh, 37 seconds, whatever. And at night, just, just go uh, act, right? Um, and so... Uh, I would get underground. Um, if you're in a mobile home, 
Um, mobile homes are extremely dangerous, and they're also usually very vulnerable to many disasters. They're built in disaster-prone areas, unfortunately. I would get out, get into a, uh, a, a more solid building with walls that can deal with the, some of the impact of the, of the tornado or get to ground or underground. You have to find those shelters. So you, you'll have to act on that. Uh, your emergency plan should be able to address that. If you're in a watch situation, going back to that watch, you know, pull it out. As you're watching the, the news, okay, oh, I'm supposed to pull out my life-saving medicine. Oh, I need to make sure that uh, I have copies of my home insurance plan or, or my mortgage. Uh, I need to make sure that I, I have these things. And you probably should already have them, but again, in a watch, you can grab that. In a warning, you might not have time. So you, sh- you should consider those things. You might only have seconds. I would, again, get underground, center of the home, uh, blocked by four walls. And when I say floor walls, I mean walls with wood studs, uh, weight bearing, possibly. Um, anything that can help, you know, that beam that's coming at 200 miles an hour uh, to be slowed down. This is usually often a bathroom, uh, if especially if you don't have something underground. So consider that. Protect your head and neck from falling objects. If you're in uh, one of those situations where um, uh, you have a mattress or heavy blankets that are right there, then that's something you can also uh, use to, to help protect yourself. Again, watch you have more time. You can do all those things that you need to in a warning. Get to cover. Early warning systems and apps save lives. So again, get those. When you emerge from uh, the threat, Take a moment to breathe, but don't take too long. Okay, you can process emotionally later. Looking at all the debris around your house will not sustain your life. Uh, you, that, that will happen, right? That will happen later. What you need to do is start making an insurance claim as fast as possible. You need to contact FEMA for individual assistance uh, grants as fast as possible. Get on those lists. Uh, when you start doing things, when you're able to act, when you're able to, to call and file and get out and, and find temporary shelter and doing those things that allow you to do something, that empowers you again. That makes you disaster tough, okay? It will be very difficult to, uh, to process emotionally. They'll have community groups set up. They'll have counseling set up. You should seek those options out, really process what happened. Uh, especially if you're one of the many people that says, why me or why not me, feel for you. And um, we, we want to help you out as much as possible. Um, if you're traveling and dealing with a tornado, don't hide in a highway overpass. Uh, same thing happens with that house scenario um, with a, a wind tunnel effect that uh, I provided earlier. It, it, it creates, um, you know, that suction motion. Uh, also, the debris is, you know, it's not going to help you out with the debris. So um, it makes it when stronger, it, it can pull people out. It has pulled people out. So really the best option is to keep driving, uh, trying to avoid the path and turning at right uh, right angles from uh, the, the tornado. So, uh, or, or rather perpendicular. You want to uh, completely avoid the path and creating that space as, if you can. Um, you know, they can move very fast. They often don't last very long. Uh, the funnels don't, but every once in a while they can. So that didn't provide you any 
help whatsoever. But seriously, like if you, if you're in a, a vehicle, don't keep driving towards the tornado. Turn around. Um, watch for other traffic. You don't want to get in a car accident because you're watching the funnel. Somebody else is watching the funnel. Then you get in a car accident. Then you're stuck. You know, you have to have really great situational awareness there. And so what we talk about is get into a ditch, lay flat. It's like that whole grenade scenario. If a grenade throws at you, you want to lay flat on the ground, right? Uh, most of the projectile will go up. So same thing with uh, a tornado and wind. So all that debris is what, what's going to kill you. So if you get flat on the ground, potentially get in a ditch where it can pass over you, then great option there to, to save your life. But like I said, tornadoes suck. It's not just a pun. I really do hate them. If I could punch every tornado in the face, I would. Every other major disaster, we can mitigate a huge portion of the threat. With tornadoes, uh, mitiga- mitigation is difficult. But you can still be disaster tough by understanding the watches and warnings, what you can do in both those scenarios so that you can get back on your feet as fast as possible. We hope that you never have to deal with a tornado, and we hope that you turn on the news, a watch is happening, you've heard that very annoying, like, er, 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 to help get your attention, and, um, you know, then uh, it dissipates, and you can go on with your, your life. We hope that's what happens. Every once in a while, though, tornadoes do happen, and it's good to know what to do. Grab the go bags, grab the family emergency plan. Do those things that that will really help you out. So those three disasters really wrap it up for us today for this uh, podcast. We talked about hurricanes. We talked about wildfires. We talked about tornadoes. We provided tips and reminders about preparing your home by reviewing emergency plans and equipment. We talked about the Doberman Family Emergency Plan. I cannot stress that enough. It's so much more comprehensive than the other plans out there. Make sure you download that from our website, DobermanEMG.com. We talked about the rule of thumb for fires. We talked about safely evacuating, how to do that. We talked about coup plans. We talked about early warning systems and the difference between watch and a warning. We talked about those apps that we have that can really help us out. And we could talk about so much more. In fact, we will be addressing earthquakes in a couple weeks with Amanda Soik from FEMA Region 10. She's awesome. She's an earthquake expert. So she's going to come on and talk to us about how to deal with earthquakes specifically and her experience with that. If you go onto our business Instagram and Facebook pages for Doberman EMG, we will share thoughts on each of these areas. Plus, we're going to be talking about active shooters, terrorism, hazmat situations, and other man-made threats as well. So out of like the, what, 36 major natural man-made disasters that could happen, we're going to be talking about so many of those this month not just on this podcast, but we're going to be talking about it on um, those Instagram and Facebook pages. So make sure you check that out. This is all, uh, again, a part of our effort to help you become disaster tough and raise awareness during the U.S. National Preparedness Month. Make sure you follow those accounts and the Disaster Tough podcast page for, again, for tips, guides, product discounts, announcements. We're going to be doing some of that this month to be able to help you out. And of course, if you like this episode, please give us that five-star rating and subscribe. If you want us to talk about a certain hazard, please contact us at info at DobermanEMG.com to submit that request. We'd love to hear from you. Or, of course, you can leave a comment on Instagram at Disaster Tough Podcast. Again, that's Instagram at Disaster Tough Podcast.